Welcome, everyone, in this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com Giants reporter. And we're fresh off what we're going to call Demolition Week, right? An absolute demolition of the Washington Redskins. A 40-burger put up by the Giants. 40 to 16 is the final. But think about this for a second, right? This is the NFL, an NFL game. The Giants were leading in this game. 40 to nothing. That's how much they just destroyed the Washington Redskins, okay? And now I've been thinking about this. There's two ways that happens when you, two things that need to happen when you get a 40 to nothing in an NFL game, right? Number one is you have to play a great game. You have to play well offensively. You have to play well defensively. You have to play well on special teams. And the Giants did that. I mean, they were moving the ball up and down the field after a slow start. The second quarter, they actually absolutely tore apart the Redskins. Uh, Saquon rushed for, I think, 149 yards in the second quarter alone, including a 78-yard touchdown run, which we'll get to in a minute here. Uh, the defense dominated. I mean, they, they had Mark Sanchez just happy feet all over the place. I mean, Mark Sanchez was just... A disaster. I mean, total, total disaster. How about this final line for Mark Sanchez, all right? At one point, his QB rating was zero. I don't like QB rating that much, but zero says something. Uh, six of 14 for 38 yards. Sacked five times. Two interceptions. Just brutal. I mean, his ha- the happy feet were everywhere. Even even times when the Giants didn't have pressure, which they did push the pocket pretty consistently. Uh, that Redskins offensive line, the interior, is a beat. Up, I mean, the Giants just dominated that interior. Uh, Adrian Peterson, uh, uh, the result of that was Adrian Peterson, 10 carries for 16 yards. I mean, that's how much the Giants dominated on the interior there. So it was a thorough domination. The other part of it is the other team has to play terrible. You have to be brutal, which the Washington Redskins were, in all facets of the game. I mean, their punt returner was a, was a, just a disaster. Uh, it was an accident waiting to happen. Sanchez, we already mentioned that. And their defense uh, started off strong, and then once things started to go poorly in the second quarter, I mean, they, they pretty much gave up. I mean, go watch the Giants get the ball back around a minute left in the first half. Go watch those two plays. When the Giants get the ball back, at the time it was, uh, was it, well, let's see, 31 to nothing? So it's 31 nothing. Giants get the ball back with a minute left. They run the first play. I mean, the cornerback on that play for the Redskins, I believe it was, uh, number 31 who was really just getting toasted all day. What was his name? Um, Fabian Moreau. Okay. He's essentially playing about, 15 yards off of Corey Coleman, right? And the Giants, I mean, Corey Coleman went 10 yards, turned around, and caught a pass, and and had room to run. I mean, they just basically weren't trying at that point. The next play, Evan Ingram gets the ball. Evan Ingram, okay? It's 30 seconds left and a half. Evan Ingram is a pass target. He chips to block, but nobody guards Evan Ingram. Like, they're not running the ball in that spot. Evan Ingram was open by at least 20 yards, and he ran by a couple guys. So, the Redskins did their part, because you don't, you don't get the 40 to nothing without help from the other team stinking, and they stunk. But the Giants, just an excellent effort, and with no Odell Beckham Jr., who was a surprise scratch with a quad injury that he suffered, actually, on the leg whip he received at the end of the Eagle game. 
two weeks ago. Played through it. Had a didn't didn't feel great on Friday from what I was told. Uh, and sort of had like a, a little setback in Friday's practice. Shows up Saturday morning. Uh, gets checked out Friday night. Shows up Saturday morning and basically can't play. So doesn't even travel. And they didn't need him. Uh, the the offense they did their part. They ran the ball all over the Redskins. They demoralized the Redskins in the second quarter there. Eli Manning was able to work out the play action from there, threw three touchdown passes, two of them off the play action, finished 14 to 22 for 197. So another solid effort from Eli, which will bring us into the, the big talk of everybody that Eli will now is, uh, basically on the verge of coming back. And it's, it's definitely each week, each win, it starts getting more and more likely. I think if you talk to people inside the Giants organization three or four weeks ago, and I'd had that they were coming to the realization that, okay, maybe it would be time to move on. But you see the results and you see that, okay, they're playing better. He's playing better. He has 10 touchdowns and two interceptions in his last five games. You get back to the, oh, the offensive line, you know, they're, they're, they're better now. I could see them falling for the fool's gold and saying, we need to run this back again next year. But let's, we, you know, I've said this before. We have to, they have to be realistic about it. Is this really a team that's going to be a serious contender next year? That has to factor into the equation. Okay. How, what can they make this team next year? Did they fall for the same, you know, uh, banana in the tailpipe that they fell for this year? Right. Did, did they fall for that? This, they fell for it this year, right? They thought this team would be a team that can compete. Did they really fall for it again? Because look at that defense. I know, I know you want to say that, you know, we've seen progress. Is anyone confident that's a, a high level defense, a Super Bowl contending defense, even a playoff defense at this point? So they got a lot of work to do. They still have work to do on the offensive line. They, they, they need better quarterback play consistently over a 16 game stretch. I mean, this is going to be their, what, fifth or losing, fifth or fifth losing season in six years? Maybe six? No, I think that they, 2012, they did, they, Forget what the record they finished with in 12. But from 13 on, it's been a struggle. That's when I got here. Started at 0-6 and 13, and it's been a struggle since. So uh, this team has some decisions to make. But the decision they don't have to make is at running back. They have Saquon Barkley. Just awesome, right? 170 yards on just 14 carries. 197 yards on 19 carries. Like The guy's a tremendous player. And... You could even say this, and I thought he was going to be great anyway, but he's even better than I thought he was going to be. I mean, he's made improvements here alone throughout the season. I think one of the knocks you could have on him is that he doesn't you know, stick it in there. He dances a little too much behind the line of scrimmage trying to break the big one. You've seen that less in the last few weeks. Hitting the hole a little bit harder, like waiting it out and then hitting it and not dancing and trying to make something behind the line of scrimmage and ending up with negative gains. So, I mean, his 78-yard run, he hit 21.91 miles per hour. That's according to the next-gen stats. It was the fastest a running back has reached on a touchdown run this year. I mean, DJ Swearinger looked like he essentially was walking. That's how much faster Saquon Barkley was going, okay? You it's it's like one of those where you see the two of them, they're they're you know, he busts through the left side and you see the two of them about in the same mark and one of them is going forward. And this is what it seemed like and looked like. One of them's going forward and one of them's almost going backwards. And that distance between them gets larger and larger 
and larger. Until by the time he gets in the end zone, he's about 8 to 10 yards past DJ Swearinger, who has no chance, and it's just essentially at the end a walk-in touchdown. So you love what you see from Saquon Barkley, which raises the question, right? And I was thinking about this. He's a rookie, I get it. He's going to approach Eric Dickerson's total yards record as a rookie. Dickerson had, I believe, was 2,212 yards. So he essentially needs to average 154 yards per game. 153, I believe, ties it. So 153 and a half yards per game. He needs to average total yards to set the rookie yardage record. A mark set by Eric Dickerson some, what is it, 40 years ago? So, Saquon Barkley doing work. And it raises the question, is he already the best running back in the NFL? Now, I was thinking about it, and I'm going over my head. Number one in my mind at this point is probably Todd Gurley. Okay? Uh, Very similar to Saquon. Could take it to house. Good receiver. um, Really, really good receiver. Good runner. has Runs with power. Runs with speed. Has good hands. Really a good total package. Uh, he's ahead of him in rushing right now, So and so is Ezekiel Elliott. So I think if I had to rate the guy, Ezekiel Elliott's one in rushing by six, 59 yards over Gurley. And then Gurley's second with 1203, and Saquon is 79 behind him. Okay, but he has also has significantly less carries than those guys. So he has a better yards per carry average. But that's what Saquon brings to the table. He's more of that home run hitter than those other two guys. And Saquon's also a better receiver than Zeke Lowe. But I think right now I'd put him in the order. And then there's the Christian McCaffreys and, um, Kareem Hunt was in this running before, you know, he got into his trouble, but he's now out of the league. Uh, Alvin Kamara's in the mix, but I don't think Kamara's a good enough runner. To be with those guys, David Johnson would probably be my number four guy right behind Barkley. He's been hampered by the fact that he's playing by just with just an awful team right now. So he's averaging 3.7 yards per carry. How about this amazing note? And our, our Arizona Cardinals guy told me this. The Cardinals starting five offensive line are all hurt. None of them are playing right now. Amazing. So I'm going. Gurley right now is one, and I was really going back and forth between Zeke and Saquon as two, three. And right now, I'm I'm going to take Zeke only because I like the idea, and I think it's you're you're basically weighing home run hitter versus guy that can get that extra yard. I, I'm taking Zeke at this point only because I think he can get those tougher yards. When I could see Saquon do that a little bit more consistently. Then I'll, I'll jump him over Zeke. But right now I'm going Gurley, Zeke, and then Saquon. You know, he has, he probably has, I was trying to find the numbers. I couldn't find it. I got, I'll look it up. I'll, I'll get back to you guys on this. But the negative rushes, and yes, that is in part due to the fact that Saquon, his offensive line hasn't been very good. Gurley is good. And Zeke's offensive line actually hasn't been that good either. But, uh, you know, they're playing the backups much this year. Their center's been out. Their left tackle, uh, Tyron Smith, who's a stud, has been in and out. And now Zach Martin's out again. So it's not like Zeke's running behind this great offensive line. I know that's the argument a lot of people like to make. But I just think when he needs to get those two or three yards, those short yardage, or those little spots where he, he just needs to put his head down, I value that a little bit more than the home run breakaway at this point. 
just because when I'm in a tough game, I think it's harder to get those two or three yards. Um, so it really splitting hairs. So, but right now, I'll have Saquon as the third best running back in the NFL, which is pretty darn good and pretty darn impressive for a rookie. Yes, he was the number two overall pick. Yes, he's really good. Yes, we know he's great. He's going to make the Pro Bowl. But he's been even better than we thought. But you know what? We'll ask our guest what he thinks about this. On to the next one. All right, we're going to bring in Jeff Schwartz, former Giants offensive lineman, just a worldly analyst. I mean, I can't even list all the jobs you got here. I mean, a gambling expert, a ESPN host, a radio host, a, a SB Nation. I mean, what, what my, uh, you, you do analysis there. You got your Facebook. You got your Twitter. It, Jeff, Jeff's everywhere. I look. I, I see Jeff Schwartz breaking down stuff. I mean, how you liking it, man? It's fantastic. It's a lot of fun. I mean, obviously, I wish I was a big dog like you and had a nice ESPN job and had a podcast. And <laughs> I get I'll get there. I'll get there one day. Well, we could always trade it if you want. You could take my job, and I'll take your career earnings. You, if you any day you're willing to make that trade, I think, I think, I think I'll do it. No, I'll, no, I'll keep. I'm talking about my new job, my media job, not the whole job. <laughs> oh, I like the whole okay. job. It was fun. <laughs> all yeah. right, all right, all right, all right. So. I was just talking about it, and we were kind of going over. I look at it. I was looking at okay, top running backs because we know Saquon's awesome, right? I mean, everyone's under the agreement. This yeah. guy's just a tremendous generational great player. Uh, right now, as a rookie, where would you put him in your running back rankings? Like, if you had to rank the top running backs in the NFL, who would you take over him, if anybody? Well, good question. Um... Well, I don't know if there's many guys who do more um, right now. I mean, Le'Veon Bell's not playing, right? Kareem right. Hunt's not playing anymore. Um, at least for now, he's not playing. I mean, there's not many guys that are multidimensional like him. You know, But we get back to the question of value, right, of, of how important is it for your team to have a running back that is that elite, right? I mean, we've seen, you know, we look at the best offense in the NFL, obviously there is some you know, some, some uh, importance with, you know, Todd Gurley. Gurley, right. Or Kamara, Gurley. These guys are, they're, or these are, or even Alvin Kamara, who are multidimensional. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we've yet to, we've yet to see that translate into Super Bowl wins, right? We, we don't, you know, we look at the Eagles last year, three different running backs. They used one guy they even traded for halfway through the season. You look at the Patriots the year before that, you know, not really, uh, not really elite running back. Uh, you know, the, the, the Broncos under Manning, CJ Anderson, right? I mean, not that. So does it translate to the team success? I don't know, but Saquon Barkley's been fun to watch. It could it could change this year though, because you got to look at it. The between Gurley and Kamara, there's a really good chance that one of those two win a Super Bowl, and I mean, a really really high chance that at least one of them is in the Super Bowl. So I, the way I broke it down is, like, yes. if I'm taking a running back right now and I'm looking at my team, I would start with Gurley, right? And then I would probably get down to Zeke. And then I probably would take Saquon just below Zeke, only because I, I like the way that Zeke can get those tough yards when you really need them and those, like the way he lo- lowers his head. He's basically able to get three or four anytime he wants, right? Uh, yes, and yeah, that's a good point. And I will say this. 
you know, we, we discussed this earlier, I discussed it on Twitter, is Saquon Barkley has become a better running back lately because he's running where he's supposed to run. Right. And that's what Zeke Elliott does, right? We don't see Zeke Elliott often running outside of the, of the design play. And look, it's okay to do that every now and then, but not at the expense of, of kind of not setting up the play for later. And Barkley's done a good job, and the Giants offensive line's gotten better. And he, he runs where he's supposed to run. And does he, you know, does he bounce every now and then? Sure. But Zeke Elliott, Todd Gurley, these guys run where they're supposed to run. And a three-yard run in the first quarter, a four-yard run in the second quarter, eventually becomes an eight- or nine-yard run later in the game when you've done what you had to do to set that up. Well, that's kind of what's been impressive about him. Like, we knew he was going to be good. Everyone really, you know, there was nothing about him that you said, this guy really doesn't have, right? I mean, he has like 99% of what you want in a running back. But he's gotten better as the season has progressed. Like you said, of hitting the hole, of not dancing as much, not trying to make too much out of something that's not there when it's when it's just not there and kind of picking and choosing his spots. And that's really the impressive part about him is that he's getting better, which is also scary, I mean, for the rest of the league. And he has that pass-catching ability that, like you mentioned before, with guys like Kamara and another guy we didn't mention who's also really, you know, you, you see him plenty living down there. I know you live in Carolina. Is Christian McCaffrey is oh, really yeah. good. He's he's in that category of those guys because he, he's up there with, in my opinion, with Kamara as like the best receiver out of that position, out, out of this sort of elite group. He, he's that good. Yeah, I think if you, if you just play McCaffrey as like a slot wide receiver, I think he'd be one of the better slot wide receivers in the NFL. Right. I think he gets overlooked because of of Cam Newton and the, and the personality that you know that Cam is. And Panthers have lost five in a row now, so um, so yeah, it's uh, he he really yeah he's he's really good. He is really good. And David Johnson, I also I put him in that category as well. He's the one guy we didn't mention here in that that the sort of elite category. I know he's not having a great year, but uh, David Johnson's still a really good running back and. I mentioned it before. He's hampered by the fact that their starting five offensive linemen, I believe, are all injured. Which is, I mean, that's a tough that's a tough way to live when you when you're working under those conditions. But uh, all right, let's go into a, a little game here. Ready? We're gonna do real, real or not really, right? Okay, so you got you got to pick either yeah. real, real or not really between these couple things. Ready? All right, so the Giants are winning, right? They they started one and seven. They're having a strong finish to the season. They're saying that Pat Shermer's saying years are connected, you know, this year to next year. Real or not really that them finishing strong this year has an impact on them at the beginning of next year? I say it's real because most of their team is coming back, especially in offense. And I say this often, and I said it with this Giants team, is that it takes eight to ten weeks for most new offenses to get up and running. And we've seen that lately. It took some time. Agree. After the bye week, they figured some things out. Jermon Brown has really stabilized the offensive line. They should re-sign him uh, for next season. You have you know, most of your line back as well. Uh, you know, Eli is obviously the, 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 the question mark in that, but you have Odell and, and Shepard and Ingram and Barkley back as well. So I definitely think that offensively, yes, but every season is year to year. So it's hard to say that Winning this year helps next year, but I think just from a, comfort, a, a comfortability with the offense, yes. All right. Sticking on the offense, right? They've came out after the bye week. They've obviously changed up their philosophy a little bit. They've got more power formations, more two, three tight ends even. Uh, they're really running their offense more around their running game and, and they're running back. And, you know, their quarterback is more of a passenger at this point, right? 
sustainable? Right. Is this a sustainable offense long term? Real or not really? This offense. I think it's real. I mean, we've seen this offense work throughout the NFL. I mean, look, I, I do. I think Eli Manning is going to lead them to a Super Bowl? Probably not. I mean, he's past that time. But I think that this offensive identity, the West Coast offense, the way he's set up is definitely real. And, and and obviously when you get a more dynamic quarterback in there, you'll be able to do more dynamic things. But right now as it is, I think it's real. The offensive line is obviously turned around. This is your area of expertise, right? They played a ton better. Jamon Brown yeah. is the reason they turned it around. Real or not really? Um, I would say it's kind of in the middle. I think that he definitely is a stabilizing force. Because you have to remember that right right guards often get overlooked in the whole grand scheme. We talk about tackles a lot and left guards. Because left guards are more nimble guys that pull a lot. But for a quarterback to step up in the pocket, the right guard has got to be very firm in the way they set. Because most right-handed quarterbacks drift just a tad off, off their launch point to the right. And they can't step up if that right guard's getting bowled back. Secondly, right. I think Eli and Nate Soldier have figured out how to work together. If you remember that Falcons game when Soldier kept getting beat around the corner, yep. it wasn't so much that 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 the, that um, he was he just he he, he sets. He's only put Tom Brady in his career. Tom Brady doesn't drop very deep, so Nate Soldier's been conditioned to set at basically where the quarterback is no deeper than like eight and a half nine yards. Well, Eli. It's dropping to 10 yards or nine and a half or nine yards. I think Eli now, in combination with having a firmer pocket, is able to step up and avoid that DN coming at him at about nine yards. Otherwise, you know, Soldiers looks exactly the same. I think him and Eli are working better together now. Will Hernandez has gotten better. I mean, the, the line is, is improved. And I, I assume. Even Spencer Pulley at center, tackle, I think, has gotten better as well. I mean, he got up to a yeah, full certain right, Yeah. I think they'll add a right tackle in, in you know the draft, the young right tackle, the young tackle in general, um, to play right tackle eventually. But yeah, I think it's I think it's in between. Uh, I think that they've gone better, but not totally because of Jamon Brown. Yeah, they do. That, that is clearly the weak spot on the offensive line. Still, is the right tackle spot. Chad Wheeler is uh, okay in the run in the run game, but he struggles as a pass protector and, and is a real liability out there. When you're talking about pass protection on that side. So, yes, definitely something that they need to uh, address this offseason, one of the top things. All right, you were in that Giants locker room. Give give us a little uh, – is, is Eli – we hear about Eli Manning, right? He changes people's phones. You know, you hear about these kind of things. He's a, a little bit of a prankster <laughs> in the jokes. Is Eli funny, real or not really? Yeah, he's funny. Um he didn't. No, so he didn't. He didn't do a lot of pranks um, on us. I, I think, and you've you've heard many stories of that recently. I mean, look, he had that offensive line that was there forever, right? And right. He grew up with those guys, and and you know we were kind of a new group that when I was there, um, and, you know I don't, I don't think the pranking was quite as it was. Plus, in general, the NFL just kind of got away from a lot of that stuff, right? The hazing, the pranking, things like that. We did the same thing in Carolina, man. If you if if you had your phone unlocked, you, you would. You'd come back to a picture you didn't want on your lock screen, and then it'd be in Chinese. And so you couldn't, <laughs> right. you couldn't unlock your phone, and you had a photo you didn't want to see in your. So, but everyone does it. Yeah, man, Eli's great. You know, I had breakfast with him. I know. You, I think you wrote that piece on Weston last year, right? And um, and yeah, Eli breakfast, you know, breakfast, breakfast every morning. Together. Yeah. 
I was part of that group in 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 fifteen, um, you know, fourteen and fifteen. I get there at the same time, and yeah, we, Eli's great. Um, and uh, it's uh, he gets a bad rap because he makes those faces on the sidelines. <laughs> he does have a j- very dry sense of humor. Like he, he's he's pretty funny in yeah. that regard. You you could you could tell that when you talk to him or you know have conversations with him. He has that like real dry. Uh, deadpan sense of humor. Kind of like when you saw him do, uh, Saturday Night Live. That's really sort of, you know, right in his wheelhouse. So. It all is. Right. It is. One, one last one. Ready? Uh, a little different. Ben Mack with, Ben McAdoo. You know, we, we have this impression. Awkward, uh, interactions, awkward personality. Is that real or not really? <laughs> From a player perspective. Um, you played for him for two years. He was the OC. Um, he was the OC, exactly. 14, the, 15. Yeah. Um, yeah, he is real. I, I like I liked McAdoo. I don't think, I don't know how much he liked me as a player, but um, I liked the guy. Um, was I he, as, he, was awkward as, was he as awkward as we all saw? Like, I mean, he stood up there at a press conference and said, uh, yeah. the question was, how, what did you, what did you say to your team at halftime? And he said, um, and just dead silence. Yeah, I, I could see him. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I was a little bit of who he was. Um, you know, I just, I, I just, you know, I have a small couple of gripes, but nothing, nothing crazy. Just otherwise, he was fine. I was just curious if he's as awkward as everybody thinks he is. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, in regards to social in, interaction, part of it. Yeah, I, I would say that. I mean, I didn't talk to him very much one on one. I mean, even when I got cut, I, I didn't even talk. He didn't. Even, I didn't talk to him when I got cut either. So. Um, I was, uh, I never really got a chance to really have one on one. I had one on ones with Tom Coughlin. He was, I love Tom Coughlin. Um, I never had an opportunity with Matt. I mean, he's an offensive coordinator. Like, we don't, we don't talk to, I mean, I think people think that maybe the offensive line interacts with him. We don't really interact with OCs very often. Um, who, so who does, who, who does the OC talk to? Just like the quarterback? I mean, is he, is that sort of like his, he's like a. Well, well, so they, so they install, like, they install the offense in general, but we leave the room, um, you know, during the pass game, normally we're not even a part of that. We install the run game, and the offensive line coach does that. See, a lot of people don't realize this: offensive line coaches are in charge of a lot more than people think. Of course, they coach our position, but they design the run game. Right. Uh, right. Obviously, in accord in accordance with the the, the offensive, offensive philosophy. So, you know, when we're when we're, when we're in that team meeting room installing stuff, you know, we get a little, of course we get a little bit from Ben McAdoo's scouting report, kind of overall uh, of what you know we're, we're aiming for this week and. And um, then the offensive line coach installs the run game, and we're out of there. And then you know, Coach McAdoo just spends time with you know the quarterbacks, and that's his job, really. Um, and obviously on Mondays he watched film with him, and uh, I mean, yeah, it was it was it was cool. I'd say he's a little more on the awkward side. I mean, I don't think it's a bad awkward. Right, right. All right, we appreciate it. Thanks, for, thanks for all the insight, Jeff Schwartz. We'll uh, we'll we'll have you back on sometime soon. All right, sounds good, bud. On to the next one. Yes, it's that portion of the show where I answer all your deepest, darkest Giants questions in this week's Giants After Dark. All right, first question. We'll go to Twitter at Giants Fan in DC. Oh, there you go. Giants were just down there. Kick the, you know, pants off the Redskins right, right in your neck of the woods. So. Your question is, percent chance breakdown of Eli comes back next year versus other bridge vet QB versus Loletta slash rookie QB. All right. So 
I'd say this a couple weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, you know, you talk to people in the Giants organization, it seemed like they were coming to the realization that the Eli Manning time was close to over, that it just wasn't going to work. They, they need, he needed ideal conditions for him to be successful, right? But they started winning. They changed their philosophy a little bit. They've asked him to do a little bit less, but be just as productive kind of in those fewer opportunities. I mean, the Giants are throwing the ball less for sure. Uh, they're going a little more heavy, uh, relying on Saquon more. So a few weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, I would have said it was like 30%. Last week, I think it was up to 40%. And with each win, it keeps rising. Now I'm over 50%. I'm probably at like 55%. Uh, 60% that he comes back. Uh, it depends on how they finish the season here. If they lose their final three games, I think then they'll say, look, we, it's probably time for us to move on. Look, we're not good. Where are we going at this point? But if they win eight out of 10 to finish the season or whatever the number is, I think they're going to be able to justify it to themselves. Okay. Let's get, look for that quarterback, try and get him in the draft and bring Eli Manning back. So I'm up to like 55% at this point. Uh, whereas a few, three, four weeks ago, I would say it was at 30%. Uh, Tornado at Antonio801 says, is Loletta done or this kid deserves a few more chances? I didn't see some aspects that I wish I saw, such as arm strength and more. And yeah, I agree. Arm strength is definitely, I would, uh, it's always been a, when I watch him, always been a problem for me. Uh, it's his physical skills don't blow you away. But look, what we saw the he's not done. He's the cha- what we saw the other day shouldn't have any indication of what Kylo Leto's future is. Nobody expects him to come in and be overly successful. He's a one a football subdivision quarterback from Richmond. The idea is for him to come in and get experience and learn and see you know figure out the speed of the game and have some learn from his mistakes and see how some of the some blitzes and stuff that he's never seen before and how he handles it and how he handles getting beat up in the in an NFL game and failure and success and all these things. So it's about him gaining experience. Well, do I think he's ultimately a long-term quarterback of the future? No. Did I ever think that? No. Uh, but anytime he plays, it's a, a learning experience. And all this time that he's... And you certainly shouldn't give up on him. You know, even you know, even the first round picks, right? The guys at the top of the draft, they're up and down like crazy. So they're going to have failures. They're going to have successes. It takes time before you're able to oh, accurately evaluate a quarterback in the NFL. So at Josh D Piazza asks, do you think the Giants like Haskins, or do you think? The interest is only in Herbert. I don't think it's in only in Justin Herbert, uh, the Oregon quarterback. I think Dwayne Haskins, from what I've heard, is a guy, and this isn't specifically about the Giants, that has sort of flown up NFL charts and boards, and there's really no draft boards set at this point. But uh, in the eyes of NFL evaluators, has really flown up their charts in recent weeks and months. So I think the Giants will have also – they've looked – they saw – Haskins. I know they, uh, Chris Pettit, who's, uh, big in the, uh, front office and in the draft room, uh, he saw Ohio State, what, when we were in Dallas? He was there the day before the Giants played the Cowboys. I believe it was that week two or whatever. Uh, they, or week three? No, it was week two. Uh, the, they played SMU, I believe it was, or TCU. Ohio State played TCU in Dallas, so they got a first-hand view of him at that time. So I think that the Giants, as long as mo- as well as most NFL teams, uh, 
are pretty optimistic about Haskins, and they're going to look into him, and they're going to like what they see. He's been very, very impressive. Uh, at G Keys seven eighteen says, who should be the Giants' top free agent targets in twenty nineteen? Now, look, this team has plenty of needs. A right tackle, as we mentioned before, is going to be one of them. Whether it's free agency or the draft, they're going to have to address that. Another one, and I would would look for free agency to be how they address it is the defensive line. They are going to pound the defensive line. And there are some good defensive linemen that might hit the market this offseason. Guys like Jadavian Clowney, I think, would make a lot of sense. Interior pass rushers is something the Giants are going to be looking very strongly at. They do not have an interior pass rush. It is a big problem. It is something that in today's game is mandatory. And the great teams, they have it. You need interior pass rushers. That was how Dave Gettleman had his success in Carolina. That defensive line was huge. So, yeah, I expect that to be. I mean, maybe a guy like um, who's who's an interior pass rusher that's out there this offseason. I don't know. David Irvin is a guy for the he plays for the Cowboys. He's been in trouble, but uh, he he's a guy I think that that would be an interesting target. Guys guys like that who could really get after the quarterback. Including from working from the interior and the Damakon Sue's out there, but, uh, he's on the older side. I don't know if that's the move for the Giants to make, but they need something from that spot. All right. Uh, I forgot to write your name down here. So I don't know. You asked me on Instagram. I'm sorry if I don't have your name here. I'll get it in a minute. Hey, Jordan, do you think that the Giants can get both Eli and Vernon to restructure their contracts to keep them on the team next year? More so for Vernon. Uh, well, I don't think they have the leverage with Olivier Vernon, right? They don't have the leverage that they have with Eli. The thing with Eli, and you probably can get him to do it, is does Eli Manning really want him to, and by the way, that question was by CEO Rock35. The question with Vernon is, you know, he, why would he come and do that? He'd rather say, just cut me and I'll go and, and, uh, you know, put myself back on the open market, see what I can get and, and go play wherever I want and possibly with the best team that he wants. And with Eli, it's more the Giants have the leverage. Eli, what are his options really going to be? How many teams are going to go and guarantee him a starting spot? How many, and also, does he want to move? He doesn't want to really uproot his family. He doesn't want to. So the Giants could say to him, look, we want to keep you, but we need to make that number. So they, have the leverage in that regard. So I think it's a lot more likely with Eli Manning than it is with Olivier Vernon. All right. Last question we're going to do here. I'm trying to pop it up. It came from Instagram. It uh, actually came from Twitter. Joe VO, Joe Antonio 10. Did OBJ really cut his hair? The people are wondering with an explanation point. I'm not positive. It looked like it. Right, you saw there was some pictures out there that he put out that he cut his hair and it wasn't blonde in the front anymore. But he was always keeping his hat on a little bit, and we saw him yesterday and saw him in the locker room, and he did the same thing. He wouldn't take that little beanie fully off. Now I think he definitely dyed it, okay, and cut it. But I'm just not sure how short. This is a question that we're taping this on Tuesday afternoon that we'll probably find out more as the week went along. But it looks like Odell Beckham with that blonde hair, with that little uh, fusilli or whatever pasta string is that's hanging down over his forehead, I think it is gone in some way. 
shape, or form. I hope I answered a bunch of your questions there. We'll do this again soon. Appreciate everybody for the questions. And as always, you can reach me uh Instagram, Twitter, at Jordan Ronan, uh, Facebook, email, anywhere you can find me, except uh don't call me. All right? On to the next one. This is the time of the show where I'm going to give you a little Jordan on a beat. you got to think of some other questions. My goodness. Where I show you and tell you what it's like to cover the Giants and be a beat writer for the Giants. Now, this week, I'm going to tell you about Odell Beckham Jr.'s injury, right, and how that kind of went down and what I hear and how this goes. So Saturday morning, I'm at my daughter's indoor soccer game. This is a seven-year-old indoor soccer. And somebody says to me, I get a text and says, uh, not sure if Odell's going to play this week. And I was like, really? Because on Friday, we had spoke to Pat Shermer, and this was Friday afternoon-ish, after they practiced. He was fully under the impression that Odell was going to play. Right. He had a, they just added him to the injury report, but it was a, a quad injury. And the way Shermer said it, yeah, he's going to play. He wasn't even listed as with an injury designation on the injury report. So it wasn't really something we've been monitoring much. He mentioned it on his I am more OBJ uninterrupted, uh, Facebook docuseries. And he mentioned that he got it on a leg whip against the Eagles on the final play when he was taken down. And then, you know, it was something he was dealing with, but it didn't look like it was anything major. But apparently, Friday at practice, it got worse, okay? So he did some stuff he was feeling a little bit. It wasn't feeling good. So he gets it checked out Friday night, and I get that text on Saturday. Someone says to me, um, yeah, I'm not sure if he's going to play. So I'm thinking at this point, okay, they'll probably downgrade him to questionable or doubtful, whatever, something along the lines. I start making a couple calls, but I'm at the soccer game, and I got to drive home, and I'm driving home, and I even have my wife uh, you know, email somebody for me while I was driving. Like these are the kind of things that you do as a beat writer. It's part of the job. It's it's sort of like a never-ending thing. Uh, it could come up at one in the morning. Some things can come at one in the morning. They could come up on Saturday afternoon when you're at your daughter's soccer game. And I'm looking into it. And uh, next thing you know, the Giants announce that Odell is not making the trip. He's not going to play. And I get an te- email confirming basically what I was hearing before that he might not play about f- two, three minutes after the Giants announced it. So I basically, I'm furious. I have to sit there. I ate it. Uh, I didn't get to break that story. I didn't report it because I was trying to figure out the details of it. And that, that happens all the time. That's part of this job. Uh, you don't want to be wrong. So you're covering all your, all your ground and all the angles and the reality is sometimes you got to take it on the chin. I, 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 and I, you might, this might be like the second, third or fourth time I'm telling you a story similar to this where I basically heard something, but I didn't end up reporting it. And, uh, I feel like I'm the, it, it drives me nuts. I mean, I've, I spent the whole day Saturday. I'm all, you know, furious and, and ticked off. Uh, but I feel like I'm the king of the almost scoop, right? So I, oh, I had it, but I almost had it. I didn't actually get to report it, but, uh, that's part of the job and, uh, I got to take it on the chin. And move on and go and go over my timeline and, and figure out to myself, okay, how can I have gotten this and, and, you know, solidified it and nailed it down so that I had it before the team then went and announced it. And those are the kind of things in the future. I'll go about things maybe a little differently. I'll call some different people. I'll talk to different people. Um, yeah. And, and, but it's, that's just part of this job. 
And uh, you, so you hear things, but it just goes to show you, I hear a lot of things. It doesn't mean I actually report or tell you all the things that I hear because I have to pick and choose when I think it's appropriate, uh, how valid the information I get is because I hear a lot of things. Some of the times it doesn't check out. Sometimes it does check out. And that's just uh, part of this job and how this job works. So, all right. As for the Giants on the field, okay, they play the Tennessee Titans this week and Technically, they are still in the playoff race. Now, I haven't talked much about it because I'm not going to, and I know people are there one and a half out with three to go. Yes, they are. But they're behind five teams. They're tied with the Lions and the Bucks. Do we hear the Lions and the Bucks talking about their playoff chances? Not really because the odds are super slim. Our analytics people at ESPN still have the Giants at 0.4%. That means less than 1% to make the playoffs. Right? Because if you think about it, what are their odds to win the last three games alone when they'll be probably underdogs in the last two against the Indianapolis and Dallas? Uh, though just the Giants' odds to win their three games are pretty low. You factor in they need all kinds of help. They're behind five teams, and there's several teams tied with them. So there's just a lot of work to be done, and so many things need to happen. But if they win this week... Okay, and a couple things fall in their place. Then with two weeks to go, I will take it a little more seriously. The idea that, okay, maybe, just maybe, they might make the playoffs. But right now, still a little bit too much of a long shot for me to take it super serious. Uh, But the Giants are favored this week. Two and a half points over the Titans, who have a pretty good defense. They've been a little up and down, though. They have 11 days, though, to prepare for this game, right? They played on Thursday night against the Jacksonville Jaguars. They are two and a half point underdogs on the road at MetLife Stadium. I'm taking the Titans in this one. Really close game. A little bit on the low, low scoring side. I think both teams are going to run the ball plenty, so it'll kind of be a slow-paced game. Not good for your fantasy teams if you're looking for these big, explosive uh, scoring outputs. I mean, this is more of like a slower, plotting game, I believe. 21-20 Titans is my pick in this one. So I think the Giants, this is a little bit of a step up in competition than they've been facing recently, and I think... This will be, and I know this is, this is the test. Like, how much, how much have they really improved? Is their defense really good enough to stop a team? Now, the Titans aren't great offensively, but they're better than the Giants have faced with most of the backup quarterbacks they've played recently, right? So, I think it's a little bit more difficult, and I'm not sure how, look, when you look at their defense overall, I'm just not sure how they can hold up against good teams. They just don't have enough pass rush. They don't have enough overall players. Now, the Titans offense is pretty bad, right? I mean, it is 28th in the league. But it's better than the Washington Redskins with Mark Sanchez. It's probably better than the Chicago Bears with Chase Daniel. Uh Who else did they play with a, a backup quarterback? Uh, it's better. Actually, it's not better. The 49ers are still better than with Nick Mullins, but... Uh, so you get the point. I just think the Titans are able to do just enough. They're able to run the ball on this Giants defense, wear them down late. 21-20 Giants. There'll probably be a moment of brilliance from Saquon Barkley, but the Giants offense, that, that, the front, the front four of the Titans is pretty good. They're gonna, they're gonna give them a hard time. And, uh, so that's why I'm going with the Titans in this one. And that's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. 
ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. Feel free to reach out to me anytime, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>